Computer, initialize Holosuite. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Random Trek Review, the podcast where we analyze, discuss, and review randomly selected Star Trek episodes. My name is Andrew, and I will be joined, of course, by my good buddy Matt this week, who can only actually spare a few minutes because uh, he needs to get all of his deuterium farmed before the uh, winter time comes. So, Matt, I guess we're going to have to be uh, hasty this time. Well, I think I may have missed the boat because, I mean, we're pretty much into winter. <laughs> yeah, it's it true. So, we're kind of uh... getting near the end of winter here. So uh, I guess that deuterium's all burned out. I may have more time than we uh, than we expected. Indeed. Uh, now let's, uh, I guess, jump right into it. Uh, speaking of deuterium, um, last week we had a recall by me. Uh, and uh, for those of you that uh, listened last time, uh, you'll know that I kind of uh, maybe got a little cheeky uh, with the fact that I knew that there were going to be some marauders that popped up and probably salvaged at least one out of five. But uh, that's going to be up for Matt to decide here uh, when he gives me a rating out of five liters of deuterium. Well, I uh, think you did get the first part right, that you you said there would be some marauders that would be, uh, you said they'd be stealing things from the Enterprise, but they actually were stealing things from a, a mining colony, but I think you still get that part right. Uh, but then you talked about, uh, you know, the Enterprise was sort of outgunned in this situation, and they were, uh, you know, talking about going back to Earth and like rearming with better weapons and, and so on. And then in the end, they ended up getting all their stuff back that was stolen. And I, I think you may have been thinking of uh, Silent Enemy, which we reviewed a little while ago. It seems like a little while ago. I feel that, I feel like it was probably a couple of years. That's sort of what happened in Silent Enemy. So, um, you know, I yeah, you got the pirating part right. And, and, you know, pretty much scored a point based solely on the title. Um, so, yeah, you're, I'm going to give you a score of uh, one liter of deuterium out of five. Um unfortunately not quite what you thought it was well matt why don't you give me five liters of deuterium and then a couple of klingons can show up and take like uh, four liters of it and i'll just be left with like the unrefined one liter uh that's left over how about that sounds good to me <laughs> uh, all right this of course is a uh, season two episode six of enterprise it is called marauders and it originally aired back on october the 30th 2002, which is kind of interesting because we just looked at uh, the Enterprise incident from season one, which was on October 31st. So uh, a neat little tie in there. Uh, it guest starred Larry Cedar as Tessic, Stephen Flynn as MacLee, Barry Hutchworld as Eli, Jesse James Rutherford as Kuel, Robert Dean as Korok, and then co-starred Wayne King Jr. as the Klingon number one. And P.P. Pimonte as Klingon number two. This one was written by Star Trek veterans Rick Berman and Brandon Braga. And it was directed by Mike Veeger. Now, if you didn't watch this one, or maybe you went and watched Silent Enemy because you thought that was the one we were talking about this week, uh, <laughs> this is what happens in Marauders. Archer and co. arrive at a deuterium facility to barter for some supplies. Things are going very typically until a couple of Klingon bullies show up to collect more than their fair share of deuterium. Turns out that they've been coming around for around five seasons and causing trouble as well as making steep demands. Archer and the Enterprise crew decide to enlist the give a man to fish, teach a man to fish analogy and train the colony to protect the settlement. They go full Magnificent Seven and use all of their skills and know-how to not only train the colonists, but also fight alongside them to teach the Klingons a lesson they won't soon forget. All right, Matt. Now, I'm not sure exactly uh, what is up with this particular episode, but uh, I mean, I almost found no background information on it. I went digging deep and I couldn't really come up with a lot of stuff. Um, the one thing I think that kind of 
stands out to me anyway, and I read it on a couple of different spots, was that, I mean, essentially this episode is the Magnificent Seven. And, and I mean, the Magnificent Seven, the Western, was ripped off of a Japanese movie called Seven Samurai. Um, so uh, what are your thoughts on taking stuff and just kind of ripping it off. We've seen this a lot, actually, in uh, episodes we've seen recently where they were either short stories or uh, plays or, or something that were inspired by. Um, have you, we seen one maybe as obviously a ripoff as this? This one's pretty obvious. I mean, this is classic Magnificent Seven slash Magnificent or Seven Samurai type of movie. Uh, well, I guess this is a TV show, but... Uh, this is pretty blatant, almost scene for scene at, in some places. Um, and yeah, we do see it quite a bit. I mean, we we saw that uh, looking for Parmok and all the wrong places was based on a play. And I mean, I think it's a pretty safe thing to do to base an episode on a existing material. Especially when it's been successful. Yeah, I mean, this one is a pretty famous one, though. Um, I guess that maybe makes the big difference. Um, we didn't really talk about kind of our initial thoughts or, or our, our kind of feelings on this one. Um, when you loaded this one up, what, did you have any kind of inherent thoughts or feelings about this particular episode? Um, and did you happen to remember that it was so closely tied? I mean, with episodes like Magnificent Ferengi, like that's pretty obviously what they're doing um with this one in particular i don't know that i i necessarily knew it until i i read that piece well the one thing i will say first is that when i looked this one up it, i remembered it being a lot better than it was uh for one thing and i knew it was sort of had a kind of western vibe to it but i didn't realize that it was going to be so close to magnificent seven I, I knew i kind of expected a little bit but not not quite as close as we got yeah, and I mean, I guess as we go through the plot, we can kind of hit some bits and pieces here. The only really other piece of information that I got that was of interest was uh, that this whole facility was recommended to them by the Cretacians, uh, who, if you remember, are from that episode, A Night in Sickbay. Um, and I mean, I think we can both be uh, safely say that we're glad that we didn't pull that episode out because uh, my memory of that one, the one where Porthos gets sick and uh, we know we spend the whole episode with Archer kind of wringing his hands and being upset is not a very good one. Um, but uh, did you remember <laughs> that episode or do you remember that uh, that bit where they ran into those guys or not really? Uh, vaguely. That's an episode I've not seen very many times, The Night in Sick Bay. I know that it it's sort of like a inside look of the life of Dr. Flox, which kind of interesting. But yeah, the episode itself is mediocre, I think. Yeah, it's not great. And I mean, maybe it's one of those things where we should just kind of transition over into the plot. I mean, it doesn't happen on occasion, but every once in a while we do decide that, you know, maybe we just need to di dive headlong into this one. Um, and with this kind of teaser that we get, uh, I think that we can both agree it's a beautiful shot of what is most obviously California or uh, there nearby. Uh, and we get, you know, shuttle pod one or whatever one they happen to take driving in and then credits. Uh, I was really surprised by this. This is kind of a, a lame uh, teaser to an episode, isn't it? It started off really intriguing um but in a different like you know we talked about the teaser for the andorian incident in the last podcast and how it was short but there was a lot of interest and there's a lot of intrigue and sort of mystery this one it's like okay so we got this picturesque colony they don't really we don't really know what's going on what they're doing and then the shuttle pod flies in and that's it, it it's not quite Okay, there's sort of the question of like, oh, what are they doing at this colony? But that's it. And I mean, it's like, oh, Ben, we're going to find out like as soon as the credits are done. Right. And there is that one bit where the guy says, oh, it's, it's not them. And it kind of maybe is a bit foreboding. But he didn't really say it in a foreboding way. He's just like, oh, it's not them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's kind of is one of the things about this episode that we're going to kind of uh, hit again and again is that I think that they didn't get the tone right 
and it starts right here with the teaser uh, in that it doesn't really leave it feeling like it's very ominous or, or that there's going to be much danger. It's, it's a little bit ho-hum, and then we kind of hit the credits, and by the time we come back, I, I don't know that the, it was even necessary to have the teaser, which you don't really ever want. I feel like it's such a, a useful tool and such a kind of a key way to introduce episodes. It, it seems like a bit of a waste here. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, if they had completely cut it out, you really just lose that sort of picturesque look at the colony right off the top, but that's it. Uh, now, I mean, as soon as we come back from the credits here, we do get something very new and uh, well, potentially very exciting. It's the Enterprise uh, NX-01 Desert Fatigues, let's call them. Um, I, my first question is, uh, what are your thoughts on the uh, desert attire that we see our three uh, you know, protagonists wearing? And then as a follow-up question, a part B, what is your favorite, and I've just kind of used like quote-unquote unique uniform uh, that we've seen in Star Trek? Is it the green jacket that Kirk wears? Is it Picard's uh, felt coat? Uh, what is your favorite uh, unique jacket? I guess start with how you felt about these ones in particular. I wrote down standard desert standard desert uniform. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty accurate. Which I'm sure every Starfleet ship and every Starfleet officer has in the back of their closet. Along with their, like, uh, you know, ice planet uh, suit and uh, swamp uh, like camo, you know, like uh, Endor uh, duckies or whatever they're going to be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I'm, I'm sure you know they they probably have like you know a half a dozen of their regular uniforms and then like twenty different special ones for different uh, planets and environments. <laughs> Did you think it was funny that T'Pol still had like the onesie, like seven of nine jumpsuit, but it was camoified? That's that's not surprising. No. But then later on, she wears, like, the jeans and the tank top. So it's almost like, wait, why did you wear that white suit down there? Would be awfully dusty. Maybe the jeans and tank top is, like, standard Vulcan, like, combat. Maybe, attire. yes, maybe. Um, <laughs> so you're kind of, like, uh, lukewarm on these? I thought it was kind of silly, but I guess it kind of makes sense. I mean, they need to be comfortable in those, like, you know, jumpsuit mechanic suit things probably wouldn't be very comfortable on a desert planet you'd be sweating your butt you know you'd be sweating like crazy in that thing true now do you have a special uh unique uniform uh outfit that you've seen in one of the series my like immediate reaction is remember in star trek 2 they had those like really sort of thick heavy coat jacket things that they wore when they beamed over to regular one and then down to the jet like to the planet where they were like testing the the i i the thought Genesis, those yeah. were really cool okay those, good like, one those sort of like away team jacket like they, they look almost like winter coats but i think they're probably a little bit lighter than that but those i always thought those were cool yeah, that's a great one. My uh, my uh, favorite one is from the Voyager episode Drive. Uh, if you remember, that's the one where they do the big race and Tom Paris and uh, he gets like the special uh, race uh, jumpsuit or whatever you want to call it. But it's also done up in the uh, uniform with the, the rank and everything like that. It's probably my favorite one, but it's an interesting one. Um, I feel like... Uh, they do it on occasion, and uh, it's always kind of funny when they have a unique costume or they they a unique unique outfit. All right, so kind of continuing along, I do love it when people visit the ship and they kind of make a point of going up and seeing Enterprise at the beginning of this episode. It's a little bit of a a strange colony because they are meant to seem like. They were kind of either left here or they say at one point that they're really far away from their home planet. Uh, and it's almost as if Enterprise is next level in terms of the equipment and stuff that they're used to. Uh, what are your thoughts on, I guess, when they travel and, and visit the ship uh, and uh, this kind of initial setup where they're just kind of bartering? Well, the tours are always fun. We see them or at least parts of them, I think, in probably every series. And so that's kind of cool. Um, yeah, this colony was like really sort of run down and very uh, like they didn't have a lot of technology, it seemed. And a lot it was a really sort of uh, primitive looking setup. 
You know, and you would think that if they're mining deuterium and everybody wants it, wouldn't you think they'd have a little bit more, like, sophisticated uh, place to live? They're, like, basically living in these, like, sort of modular... Yeah, huts. it definitely had the impression, too, like, where if something, you know, environmentally went wrong or something, they would just probably die on that planet. And they seem like they had... It's, like, almost like a mine that's way up in the middle of nowhere, you know? Like, they had moved up and kind of set up, like, a little camp, but it didn't seem like they had thought it out very well or that it was even worthwhile because they even mentioned at one point they only really make enough money and enough resources to kind of keep the thing going. So it's... It's one of those like, why are you doing this kind of kind of thing, um, and and I thought that it was a little bit bit, bit strange. And the other question I kind of had was like, what is deuterium? Is this like an enterprise exclusive thing? Have we seen this in other series? Is it a fuel? Is it a metal? What is it? Well, it's definitely a fuel, I believe. Oh boy, I know you hear about it in Next Generation. They're always talking about like the deuterium oh, okay. injectors and and so on. So it is some sort of a fuel. I don't know if that's like the type of matter that they use in the warp reaction chamber. Or, or if it's like a fuel they use for like the impulse engines, I'm, I'm not sure. I could bust out the, you know, Star Trek technical <laughs> yeah. manual and find Start out. reading passages. That would make for some good, uh, that makes them for some good uh, reading. Yeah. I do have it. I, I bought it when I was probably 10 or 12 years old. I'm sure that it's in there. Um, I'll just take your word for it. I guess I could have Googled it as well, but I just, it was one of those things where, I mean, you know, we always think like they, they're looking for dilithium or they're looking for, for these different kinds of things. Um, it's, it's interesting enough, I guess, but I have to admit that initially here when they're just kind of doing the bartering and they're trying to make a deal and they're kind of getting the hardball return back from, from them, uh, it's okay, but I like you said, I had a feeling like this was much better. What are your thoughts kind of in the first, uh, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes of the show? I thought the reluctance to trade was kind of suspicious because, I mean, that's what they do. Now, obviously, we learned that the reason they were reluctant to trade it is because these Klingons were just basically pillaging like 90% of it. You know, Trip offering to help them repair the pumps... And then they're sort of like, oh, well, in that case, because then all of a sudden they are able to mine enough to, you know, satisfy the Klingons and can probably spare a little bit extra. I thought that was kind of interesting that they would even need help fixing the pumps because you think experts they'd be like at it, yeah. expert at it by now. I don't know. It was kind of, in, you know, there's there was sort of a sense of like, yeah, something's kind of weird is going yeah on and maybe they were even trying to make an episode where not much is happening it's kind of ho-hum and then it's like oh here comes the klingons and it's supposed to maybe be a little bit more jarring a little bit more shocking that it ends up being what are your thoughts on these klingons and i mean by the time you get to 2002 are we all Klingon out? Are we interested at seeing Klingons in this period of time? Um, and, and does it kind of work to to increase the excitement of this episode? Well, these are very disappointing Klingons. <laughs> um, they beam down and they're like all about, oh, uh, you know, where's our hospitality? You know, you guys are so nice to us, you know? And, and I was like, what are, who are these people? These are not Klingons. They would be like, give us our deuterium or we're going to blow your colony up from orbit that's sort of more what i would expect and then they would just leave rather than being like you know putting their their arm around the guy and i don't know it would they were very very different from what i we are accustomed to with i thought that they looked really good um i thought that like the makeup and everything looked really cool but yeah i definitely i think they were trying to get that these guys maybe weren't really klingons they were maybe like they say that they they don't even have a real ship. It's kind of like a scavenger ship, and they're kind of like lowly and and maybe not that uh, close to the, the 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 Klingon government and stuff like that. So I think they tried to make it, although I don't know that it's such a weird thing because like in Broken Bow, they made such a big deal about the fact that like the Federation had never interacted with the Klingons or they hadn't been there in so long and everything, and then to kind of have them pop up here, it does it kind of. Like some of the mystique, I guess, is gone or it's almost like they kind of forgot about that whole stuff from the first episode or something. Like, I don't know. Didn't you kind of feel like they were going to make the Klingon human relationship a little bit more dynamic than this? I feel like almost like they tried to make it 
threatening or menacing just on the sheer weight of the fact that they were Klingons rather than having them act tough and act like, you know, badasses like Klingons generally do. Um, so, yeah, that was uh, that was disappointing. Yeah, and I think that, you know, I very rarely say this. And so, and I'm almost hesitant to do it, but I almost kind of feel like this is an episode that really could have been great, but they almost ruined it with not just the tone, but also kind of like the acting as well. Um, I feel like everything is kind of played soft and almost like with kid gloves. And to me, it just kind of, it just kind of rubs me the wrong way. And I just kind of ended up feeling not bored, but just kind of like, oh, they didn't really go for anything here. They they played it safe, and it really feels that way. Well, one thing I thought about is, like, did they really need to be Klingons for this to work? Yeah, exactly. They could have just been generic alien. Well, or they could have been, like, the same aliens as the colonists, but be, like, you know, the... Evil version, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, or, or, like you say, generic alien. Like, I don't think they really needed to bust out Klingons here. And I don't think it really makes a whole lot of sense for the reasons you've talked about, about how what they established earlier in the series doesn't really consistent with this and they don't act like Klingons at all. So I almost wonder if that was just a poor choice. Yeah. And I feel like one of the things that is really frustrating to me anyway, is that, I mean, not every Star Trek fan is a diehard Klingon fan. They've done the Klingon thing to death in Star Trek Discovery, you know, Into Darkness. Like, they they, they have this thought or this mindset, like, Klingons are the best species. They are the coolest characters, and they make the best stories. And it's kind of like, are they, though? Like, I don't know. Like, what are your thoughts on Klingons? Are they, uh, you know, your favorite uh species and whenever there's a Klingon episode you're gobbling it up and you can't wait to see more of it or or are you kind of like me where you're going like there's so many other cool species I don't know that we necessarily need them uh popping up in episodes like this I think they're the most recognizable and that's why we keep getting Klingons because they're very distinctive they're very you know there's a lot of uh lore uh existing that we've all seen about Klingons so I think we have a pretty good idea of what Klingon culture is like uh so I think that's probably why we keep getting them over and over and over again whether they're good or not I I feel like there have been stretches of certain shows where the Klingons have been really good yeah I'd agree with that I was thinking of like that whole story of like Worf you know sort of third to fifth season of next generation where they you know his father's dishonored because he betrayed them or so they say and he has to like you know right that wrong i feel like that stretch of the klingons was really good and really interesting and i feel like sort of through the middle of deep space nine uh, they were very interesting um i think part of that was because we got to see a few different kinds of klingons like you have general martok who you know, it's sort of a loose cannon and likes to laugh and goof around sometimes. But when it's, you know, when it's time to go to war, he's, he's, you know, he does his job. Uh, and, you know, you sort of contrast that with some of the more hard-ass Klingons that we've had before. And um, so I, I think those two stretches where we get a lot of Klingons were very interesting. But outside of that, I think eh, sometimes it's a bit overkill. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I mean, I, you make up, a, you make a good point. They, 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 they can do it good. I just don't know that it's good here. Um, and I don't know, like you said, I don't know that it's necessary here. So uh, I think that part of the reason why they wanted to do it this way was because they wanted this kind of like thirty to one ratio, where you have all these unexperienced guys who just need a little bit of training. And then you've got these Klingon warriors that you can kind of uh, put them up against, right? So I think that they were trying to go with that because obviously like in Magnificent Seven and the Seventh Samurai, the whole thing is is that there's a whole kind of town or village. And so um, that that's what kind of makes the story. Um, and so this, this battle plan, I mean, number one, were you shocked that uh, Archer and everybody decided to help out and to you know, return the planet and solve it. Was that uh, a shocking moment? Um, and I mean, is this, 
I mean, is this kind of getting into, uh, you know, priority one? Uh, what, do they, what do they call it in Enterprise? Prime Directive, they called it like the Directive One or whatever, the, whatever they call it. I forget. I forget what they called it. <laughs> but do you think that's kind of like, uh, you know, kind of getting in on that or not really? Maybe a little. Um, yeah, I'm not shocked at all that they helped. And I mean, we talked about this in the last podcast with the Endorian incident. I mean, oftentimes, and we see it over and over and over again in Enterprise, especially early on that, you know, Archer and Trip just can't resist, you know, sticking their nose where it doesn't belong. So, yeah, no, it didn't surprise me at all that they were like, hey, why don't we, uh, why don't we help these guys, you know, stand up for themselves so they don't have this problem every every season with the Klingons uh, showing up. And um, I don't know, the, the whether it violates sort of the prime directive or whatever version of it they were referring to, I mean, I guess it kind of does. But, I mean, the Klingons are also interfering as well. So, I don't know, True. I guess it kind of balances out. I mean, I didn't have a problem with it, I guess. All right. Now, the big setup, I guess we're going to call it, uh, they're going to use Reed's you know, technical skills and his battle planning, and T'Pol is going to teach them how to fight, and Hoshi is going to teach them how to shoot, and uh, this whole thing is very, very montage but not really like Rocky level montage. It's kind of more, you know, made for TV movie montage. And I was super disappointed by it. Um, I feel like this could have been really, really cool and really, really good. And I think that they maybe even should have took like Faith of the Heart and like re-edited it into oh, a no. uh, action style uh, beef up or something. Should they have just, you know, gone full in on this and montaged it up or were you happy with what we got well i think they could have gone maybe a little bit more montagey they sort of had the different things where they were like training and then they sort of like established that okay yeah t'pol's like teaching them vulcan martial arts and reed and hoshi are teaching them to shoot and all this stuff and then they sort of went into a little bit of a montage i I, why not just do the whole that whole section as just like one big long montage where they're like dodging you know weapon you know dodging batlets and and learning how to fire phasers and all this stuff like uh, it was kind of weird how they sort of did it half and half yeah i almost feel like they maybe should have instead of doing magnificent seven maybe they should have done home alone and they could have done like exactly. uh, a bunch of traps and uh, elaborate things where, you know, when they go to open the, the door handles all heated up and the floor falls out and stuff like maybe that was the, the episode that we wanted to get. Home Alone Marauders. That would have been <laughs> something. You know, Ar- Archer like goes to the like tactical table and like he has the like roll of paper and he like sort of <laughs> yeah. pushes everything out of the way and he unrolls it and it's like a handwritten. Like in crayon. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that would be good. I I mean, I'm not opposed to that. I feel like that could really be good. And I mean, they did that with the James Bond movie Skyfall, where they essentially made it like Home Alone at the very end with all the booby traps and stuff. And I mean, there's something just so watchable about that. Um, I feel like with this whole big plan, one of the things I didn't really think made a lot of sense was was that they moved the entire compound like 30 meters over and they were like well nobody's going to notice because like the buildings all look the same and everything like that but how did that factor in like i thought there was going to be like holes that they were going to fall into or traps or something but then it didn't really end up happening i think by moving it 30 meters they changed the relative position of the wells because you know at the end they sort of like trap them in that like big fire like, like ring oh, of fire okay i think what they did was they they sort of rigged it so that okay they're gonna think that they're standing here which is 30 meters away from the deuterium wells but they're actually gonna because it's 30 meters they're actually like basically standing on top of them and that that way we can ignite it and they'll be like trapped in there so you got like one one booby trap Right. I guess the the question then would become if you could run the deuterium wells uh, with your settlement not right on top of it, then why would you ever put it on top of it? That's a good question. <laughs> it seems really dangerous. It could just catch fire and, and burn your whole place down. It's true. Yeah, that would be rather hazardous. But uh, yeah, uh, there's a reason there's a reason oil wells in real life are like in the middle of the, you know, the 
forest yeah, in some places. Yeah, or in the middle, yeah, the middle of nowhere in uh, in Western Canada. That's for sure, right? So, oftentimes, if you're driving like through a f- area with like a farmer, far- like a lot of farmland, you'll see like wells just like in the middle of a field. Yeah, they don't usually put like the guy's house on top of it. No, no. <laughs> now, this is another episode, man. I was I couldn't believe it actually. So we just did Enterprise uh, uh Andorian incident. Uh we're back uh in the Enterprise and man, I think Hoshi gets one line about kind of uh, a proper way to uh shoot uh the the phasers. Um and Mayweather isn't I don't think he even gets a line. He's kind of in the background of one of the fighting scenes. Uh and man, is that guy ever yoked? Like, did you see uh, Mayweather in the scene where T'Pol is kind of teaching the uh, the fighting and stuff? They probably should have brought that guy down. He looks like he's tough as nails. Well, wasn't he, like, in the thing and, and she was, like, going to demonstrate on him? And he had, like, one line where he's, like, she's, like, um, don't worry, I'm, I'm, you know, you won't be injured. And he's, like, oh, I don't know about that or yeah. some, something like that. Okay, so they each got yeah, one like line, one, but not yeah, much. Yeah, like, one really kind of cheesy line, but that's it. I, I mean I we I think we talked about this a long time ago, maybe when we did North Star, that it really is, you know Archer Trip and T'Pol. It really and is. The rest yeah. are just you know there to to do to to support them. You know one of them flies the ship, one of them heals them, one of them translates, and that you know and that, and we see that here in this episode, and I mean I was kind of thinking like, if you took Mayweather and just put a different black athletic looking dude in the uniform. W- would you even notice? <laughs> Probably not. Like if he was, yeah, like he has so little development and so little lines. Like it really is a shame. Cause I think there was, there was kind of the whole thing. It wasn't he like, they called him like a boomer or something. He was like, a, he was from like a long distance, like warp two freighter or something like that. And there was a couple episodes that they tried to do stuff with them, but like, at this stage of the game, like this feels like an original series episode. The three main guys go down. There's like a scenario happening and they got to set up this elaborate thing. And it's kind of like they check in with each of the other main guys, but it's maybe for a line or two. And then it's like back to the big three. And I mean, I don't know by 2002. I just don't know that that's what I want um, or anybody else for that matter. And it, it is a shame. I, I feel like, um, those three, maybe not read as much and maybe not flocks as much, but Mayweather and Hoshi, that's a real shame. They really didn't get enough uh, stuff in this episode or uh, in general, I don't think. I think Reed sort of gets a pass because he's on the screen so much, even though he maybe doesn't really, there isn't really a lot of character development. And he doesn't really have a lot of lines, but, he, you know, anytime there's like a fight, he's there and he's like, you know, the you know, the hand-to-hand combat and the tactical expert, right? So he's always there. I mean, Phlox is just sort of, like, he's a very, he's good for comic relief. So he's in there a lot for that. And, you know, of course, he's always in sick bay. So, yeah, but yeah, Mayweather and Hoshi were just, like, they could have, they could have omitted them from the opening credits, and I don't think anyone would like, <laughs> who are those two? Well, I mean, speaking of fighting, we're at the big showdown, I guess. This is an episode that definitely cracks on like a whip, and uh, it doesn't take very long before, you know, they've they've laid the trap, they've uh, trained the the civilians, and uh, here's the showdown. Um, I, I don't know if you felt like it, uh, if it, if it played out well, but, um, there's kind of a couple of things that I wanted to go over. The first thing is, I guess that when they were shooting at those Klingons, I guess they were trying to not hit them. Like they were just using it as a way to, to funnel them over. Um, but then I kind of thought, well, why did they take all that time practicing if, if they didn't want to hit them anyway, they're just kind of. It's one of those things where they're trying to look like they're trying to hit them, but they're not. Uh, what were your thoughts on that part of the plan, I guess, like the initial thought where they're going to just shoot at them? I don't know. I thought the whole plan itself was, like, kind of disappointing because, like, like you were saying, like, I was expecting, like, you know, they might have some, like, booby traps and, like, uh, you know, we're going to lure them into this one building and then we're going to, like, lock the doors and, you know, trap them in there. 
you know, and maybe sort of like use those kinds of tactics to like dwindle their numbers until there's only like two or three of them left. And then they can be like, you know, then they can say like, all right, you guys are get out of here. Or we're, you know, we're, we're not going to put up with your nonsense anymore. And if you come back, this is what's going to happen. Um, yeah, it was kind of disappointing that their whole strategy and their whole, you know, goal was like just to get to them to stand on this one spot. And remember there was that one part like sort of towards the end where they're like, no, they're not close enough. We need to get them to move like 10 steps to the left. And so every, every yeah, like, I know. Whole like... group of them just like start going that way. And the Klingons are like, Oh, we better like follow them to see where they're going. It just, uh, it was so dissatisfying that they go through all this trouble of training and moving the buildings. And the whole thing was just like, yeah, let's just get them to stand in this one spot. It just seemed so simplistic to me. Yeah, and it definitely would have been a big downer if one of those guys had gotten their heads chopped off by a bath lift, right? <laughs> like, if they were like, and they're never going to come back again, and they turn around and one of the guys is just dead. Um, I thought that was really cheesy. I thought that it was really terribly done that they were purposely running up, like literally throwing a rock at a Klingon and then running up and being like, okay, what's the move again? Shuffle back roll to the left, step to the right, it's like you will get killed. If you try to do that, you will be killed. If you try and do it more than once, you will be killed. I don't think they're going to fall for it too many times. And they do it like three or four times. That's the worst of it. DePaul does it like 50 times. <laughs> that was horrible. And that bit where she comes in and she does like the Chris Redfield like spinning heel kick and then like shuffle kicks him into the... Uh, like the garbage pail or whatever, and he reaches for the batleth and she steps on it and then just like kicks him in the face. So bad, so cheesy. Like this is essentially just North Star over again, but instead of having the campy Western shootout, you're getting this really lame, uh, I don't even know what kind of shootout this is supposed to be. I, I just didn't think this worked at all. I thought that it was really bad. Yeah, it was, it was, it was dissatisfying to say the least. And I mean, I think you already kind of mentioned it, but one thing I was going to mention too was that this whole thing just makes the Klingons look so stupid and so uh, so little of a villain. Like, they literally are in that big ring of fire like, ooh, what? How did they do it? Like, you could have beamed up and then just beamed down 10 feet to the left and then the whole plan would be out, right? Like, I thought that it made them look so bad. Yeah, and they mentioned that, like, right off the beginning when they're sort of, like, discussing, like, okay, how are we going to deal with them? When T'Pol, I think it was T'Pol, was like, well, they're kind of dumb. Like, I mean, she didn't say it that way, but she basically essentially said that they're really dumb. We can probably, like, lure them into a trap because they're not smart. And, I mean, that's kind of, I mean, it definitely made them look dumb because they did exactly what they were, you know, supposed to do. Yeah, and it's kind of like you'd almost wish that the plan didn't work and then they had to kind of have a backup plan, you know, like maybe Archer would come in and do some heroic thing where it's like, oh, he's got to have to make the tough move or the tough call, you know. Or get whooped. Yeah, exactly. We get none of that. Um, and I mean, the other thing, too, is is that are you really buying that these guys are so scared by that ring of fire that they're they're never going to come back? Like, I had a feeling like they were coming back three days later to kill everybody. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, they would have, I, I, yeah, it was kind of silly that this whole plan was going to scare them off like forever. It, it's supposed to show them that like, oh yeah, these colonists, like they're smart and they're going to like, if you show up again, they're going to, you know, play tricks with you or they're going to, you know, make, you know, trap you in a ring of fire again. I don't know. I don't really like if they've been, preying on these people for i mean five seasons i take that to mean five years or maybe or or maybe there's like two like seasons where they can mine dilithium or the mine the deuterium so maybe a couple of years but regardless like are they really going to give up that easily these klingons i i don't really think so and then when that guy does the speech we're not afraid of you anymore we're not gonna take it i was like come on like this is pretty cheese ball. Like, 
I almost kind of wish that the Enterprise and Archer had said like, hey, you know what? If you guys don't bugger off, uh, we're going to go and uh, get like the real Klingons in here to like tune you up or, you know, we're, we're going to find out where you're at and we're going to come and deal with you ourselves. Um, I, I just kind of felt like this this whole thing of we're going to teach them how to do it just didn't really work. And, and it's yeah, like the conclusion to it doesn't really feel very satisfying because they just kind of beam away and everyone dusts their hands. And that's kind of what we're left to to just kind of take like what what is the moral of this story like stand up to a bully i guess well to like to add to the dissatisfying ending the klingon captain like ends up sort of doing the classic like eight-year-old maneuver where it's like well the deuterium's no good anyway so i don't want it anymore i can get it anywhere yeah no, that like, was bad on. like that's that, that, give me a like that's not that's not something I would expect from a Klingon to do. Yeah, the, he might as well have told him that his dad could beat up the other guy's dad. You know? <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> My dad's going to beat up your dad. Yeah, like that was just horrible. And I mean, I guess speaking of dads, the the kind of the, the final ringer to this one or, or the tale to it is that uh, Trip has kind of created this fatherly son interaction with this random boy and he's going to like teach him how the ship works and do a tour. But then it's like, well, I don't think we're going to have time. Uh, and it just ends like I thought that that was pretty strange and a pretty weak uh, B story. What were your thoughts on this this whole trip and the little kid? Meh. I mean, it was I mean, the kid was a little bit mischievous, I guess, which is kind of cool because he like is right off the right at the beginning. He like snuck onto the shuttle pod. But yeah, I don't know. It was kind of. It wasn't all that interesting, I didn't think. Similar to the A plot, it just kind of ended up being a meh. All right, Matt. Well, there are a lot of guest stars here, and I guess we might as well kind of just uh, jump in and, and kind of go over the ones that we liked and the ones that we didn't like. Um, the first one I've got on my list is a guy named Tessic. Um, and Tessic, if you're not sure, is kind of the the quote-unquote leader of the of the colony he's the one who ends up with that line at the end where he says we're not afraid of you (laughs) um what are your thoughts on tessic both the performance as well as i guess the character as well character was really weak uh he was kind of a pushover uh the klingons sort of had their way with him I, i don't know if that was intentional or not uh i think maybe it kind of was because you want to kind of see how he goes from this sort of weak submissive person to you know being more uh assertive and more standing up for himself and his his colony but uh, i i was kind of unimpressed um with the character and i mean if that's if they were trying to portray him in the beginning as being this sort of uh you know submissive kind of guy then i guess the the acting was was good because it came off that way yeah, I mean, I think that if he had kind of played it a little bit differently at the end, then I, I think I would have liked it a lot more. Uh, but the way that this guy comes off, like the, the line reads are just a little too weak, a little too cheesy. I think that it it just didn't really work. And, and that, that final thing could have saved it where he was, was going to tell the guy not to come back. But it just didn't really land for me. And, and it just didn't work. I think this guy... It's just a bit odd. I think also the kind of the relationships are a bit confusing as well because the next guy that we're going to talk about, Mackley, he was kind of like the younger leader guy uh, who got beat up at when the Klingons came the first time. I don't really understand maybe necessarily like who is in charge here. Uh, you know, is this a, a partnership? Uh, what is kind of, why do we need one, a kind of slightly older guy, the slightly younger guy? What were your take on Mackley? Well, I think he was sort of the, like the opposite, the one that was going to sort of push Tessic into doing what he thought was best for the calling. I mean, he was a little bit more like, wasn't he like Tessic was very standoffish at first and Mackley seemed to be like, well, why don't we let them help us fix the pumps? Because if they've helped us fix the pumps, we'll be able to have enough deuterium to give them some. Right. And Tessic was like very against it. And so he, he seemed like he was a little bit more agreeable to, helping them out and he was a little bit more gregorious and a little bit more you know willing to to do something 
I guess, and he was kind of more along the lines of like, that, listen, like we've been doing this for a while and it's not working. We need to try something new and different. Yeah, he wasn't great though. I mean, he could have been maybe like a sacrificial lamb or something. Like he could have maybe sacrificed himself in the big showdown, but it wasn't that kind of episode, right? Like this is really just kind of for fun. And I don't know that it really was meant to be that deep. And I think it hurts the episode as a whole. Yeah, I, I don't. Don't disagree. Now, we also get, like, kind of, I, I mean, I guess I'm going to call her the, the female one, uh, Illy, or Eli, I guess. Um, she is uh, maybe trying to be the voice of reason here, or maybe she's trying to be, uh, I'm not exactly sure. She She's kind of the little boy's mother, which comes up, but not really that being in that important. I guess she lost her husband at one point. We're supposed to feel bad about it. I thought she was pretty meh, pretty pretty bland as well what were your thoughts other than that like one scene in sick bay like it was pretty pretty meh like yeah not not very interesting at all all right and what about the son um him, himself i think his name is kel or uh yeah kel i guess is how you pronounce it what were your thoughts on him well like we mentioned just sort of with the, when we talked about that sort of sm- small b plot in general i mean he was he was a bit mischievous and a little bit, uh, you know, cheeky, but otherwise, yeah, not very noteworthy, I don't think. Yeah, it's funny, eh? Like, it's such a just meh episode. Um, even the Klingon, like the main guy, we've already talked about him, but his name was Korok. I mean, we even talked about how, like, his line reads are just kind of cheesy and he's not very menacing and he never he does, like he kind of beats up that one guy like roughs him around a little bit but we've seen klingons do so much more bad stuff and and i just don't know that this is very good at all uh what were your thoughts on korok and i mean maybe just the klingons in general well i thought korok was like trying to be friendly with them which was completely the opposite of what you would expect from Klingons and then when he didn't get his way that's when he sort of threw a tantrum and roughed the guy up and uh, yeah the, the the Klingons in this were were not that great I mean the, the other two sort of background guys I guess like they didn't really do anything that I noted it, it, you know they were just sort of the generic bad guys that happen to be made up as Klingons. Now, maybe the better question is, is is it maybe a little unfair that we just saw Andorian incident last week where you've got Shran, all-time great villain. You've got the, the hired guns, which I think worked really well as well, and just a much better episode. Like, are we maybe being a little harsh here, or do you think that it's justified? I think it's justified. Like, they're just not that great as Klingons. I, I was I was unimpressed with them from the minute, minute they beamed down. Like they just they didn't really act that Klingony until they got upset, until they got angry. And I mean, it, it's not just you that feels this way because I did some background digging and some uh, googling and uh, yahooing and everything else, and I came up with almost no production notes. This is almost like a forgotten episode where. They literally put it in, you know, they made it and nobody really wanted to talk about it or, or, or give too much um, about this episode at all. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, this episode is kind of like quick like a bullet and I guess our review of it is going to be quick and a bullet. Is there anything memorable at all about this particular episode? Is there any quotes that you like? Is there any um, kind of anything about this that you like or is this just a total stinker? Well, one little bit of production that I, we I, we didn't mention that I, I found kind of interesting. Some of the phasers that the uh, the the deuterium miners were using were re were like reused props. Um, one was a Jem'Hadar hand phaser. One was a Bajoran phaser rifle, and one was the Klingon sniper rifle from Star Trek Six. That's cool. Um, I don't think I recognized any of them at the time, but I did read afterwards that. Uh, there were some reused props, which is always interesting. And uh, I mean, if we really need, if we're really desperate for some some other production stuff, uh, some of the some of the items from this episode were auctioned off. Oh yeah, they made a bunch of money, I guess, or not really. I, I don't know. I'll, I'll I'll let you guess based on the items. So one was a Klingon pad pouch, a metal canteen, and a and a Klingon batleth strap. The strap, not even the thing. <laughs> I can't imagine any of that stuff going for much more than about 50 bucks. 
<laughs> you don't think Trek fans are going to be falling over each other to get themselves a Klingon Batleth strap to carry yeah. around their Klingon Batleth? Can you imagine if you came over to my house and I was like, check this out, and I've got a strip of, like, leather, and you're like, yeah, what's that? And I was like, well, remember that episode of Marauders? Yeah. Remember when there was, like, the Klingons? Yeah, kind of. Well, this is the strap that he used to hold up the Batleth. Like, that would be so lame. Yeah, or or could you imagine like having this like pouch attached to your belt? <laughs> oh, what's that pouch for? Oh, it's the uh, Klingon pad pouch from the Enterprise <laughs> yeah. of the Marauders. Like, don't you know these things? Can you imagine? Yeah, Come on, showing up to work and just like leaning your hip out so you can see, <laughs> so everyone can see it. Yeah, that's oh my. Ugh. Okay, that's how di- that's how deep we're digging for production stuff here, folks. Uh, all right. Aside from the bat left strap and the little pouch that holds a, a communicator, uh, what did you like about this episode and what was memorable? Uh, the only scene that like when I looked this episode up, I remembered sort of the training scenes and the I guess the mo- the half montage that we got. Um, but otherwise, like like there weren't really any lines. I mean, Archer, you know, dropped the old give a man a fish feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, feed him for a lifetime, which is a, a you know, sort of a, that, that's one that I think is a really good one to follow. But other than that, there weren't really any lines that I thought were, were good. Um, oh, oh, sorry, there is one. I just remembered now. There's that part where the kid is like, uh, he wants to like fight with them. And Trip is like, and Trip says, uh, you have to be taller than the gun to use it. <laughs> I yeah, that was pretty, pretty good. good. That's a pretty good one from from Trip. But yeah, other other than that, there wasn't really anything that jumped out at me. Yeah, I mean, for me, the the thing that's most memorable is those desert outfits. Um, for whatever reason, as soon as I, I looked at the picture for this one, I was like, oh, it's the one where they wore those random desert outfits, and they maybe never wore them again. I don't remember, but I, I don't think that they wore them very often. That's what they should have auctioned off. The May, desert you know what? They probably would have pulled in more money. That's for sure. Um, I mean, I think that everybody knows where it's going, Matt. But give us your final thoughts and then give us a rating out of five Marauders. Well, as I've said throughout, this is one that I remember being a lot better than it was. Like I seemed I, when I looked this one up, um, I had memories of like, all these like elaborate plans that they're going to like lure the Klingons into this trap. And there was all this like firefights and, you know, guys chasing each other and hand to hand combat and all this stuff. I just had these memories of it being just such a really good action sort of like, you know, action packed episode that was really good. And I sat down and I watched it and, you know, as the episode went on, I was like, man, this is like not nearly as good as I remember it. Like, it's not even really that good at all. Like these Klingons are, are not Klingon ish. And you know, the plan was not that great. And the, the sort of big showdown was not really that exciting at all. And, and yeah, it was just, I was really disappointed as I watched through this one. I just, I thought it was going to be really good and really exciting and really fun to watch. And I don't know, it was not that great at all. Um, I'm as far as a rating, I mean, it's almost passable, but really not quite. I mean, there isn't really a whole lot to like about it. And, um, I, I think I'm going to go with one Marauder out of five. Like it just, it, it, the idea is so good, but it just fell completely flat in so, so, so many ways. Very good. Yeah. I don't have a lot to add other than just the fact that I feel like this could have been really, really good. And I, I'm kind of with you. I thought it was going to be a lot better. And my memory was that it was a lot better. Uh, I think that this was hurt in almost every direction. The acting is kind of cheesy. The Klingons don't really fit in. I don't really know that it fits with Broken Bow and where they had kind of set up with them. I think that even the mainstays that I, I, I normally would praise are just kind of going through the motions here. Um, and anybody that kind of rips on Enterprise and says that it's not great, these are probably kind of the episodes they're talking about. And, and I think I'm right there with you when I say that this has got to be kind of one out of five Marauders, sadly, because um, I was really excited for more Enterprise after last week. Um, and, and this is really the polar opposite of the Andorian incident. This is kind of Enterprise at its worst. Just not utilizing the characters. Uh, it's totally a copy and paste 
TOS episode that's super cheesy and not that exciting. So yeah, one out of five Marauders for me. All right, that red alert siren is the uh, indication that we need to uh, pull out a fresh episode and put a bow on uh, this episode here. Uh, Matt, you're in the hot seat. How are you feeling? You feeling confident? You feeling nervous? Do you have any hopes or predictions or dreams here? I feel as good as I think I would, (laughs) given that... There are 700 plus episodes in the NX01 ball cap. That's a lot. So um, I'm thinking, um, how about one of the new series? One of the new series. Okay, well. One of the new series. That's what I'm going to say. Let's dig into the old. And I'll embarrass myself by having no idea which one it is. Yeah, I was going to say something in the last six months and uh, you don't know. So I'm going to dig into the old NX01 ball cap of episodes. Uh, despite Matt's wishes, I'm going to dig right to the bottom, try to find some ancient episode he's never seen before. Uh, and I've got one right here. Of course, Matt's going to have 60 seconds in order to, uh, come up with as much stuff as he knows. And his wish has come true. Not only, oh dear, not only has he pulled one of the new series, he's also done and grabbed himself a season finale. This episode number 10, season one of Lower Decks. The episode name is No Small Parts. All right, so this is the season finale of Lower Decks, episode number 10. It was called No Small Parts. Now, Matt is going to have 60 seconds to come up with as much stuff as he can. He looks pretty confident, I think. Um,. I, I almost feel like he doesn't want a second to write anything down. He looks like he's chomping at the bit. Would that be accurate, Matt? Uh, it, it was fairly recent, so I do th- feel like I do remember a fair bit. Okay, well, let's put 60 seconds on the clock, and it starts right now. Okay, so the Cerritos encounters a pack-led vessel, which has all these, like, alien pieces attached to it, so it's, like, ten times the normal size, like, that we saw in the Samaritan Snare and um you know they want the the pack leads are trying to like steal the ship and it ends up all in shambles and then um they mentioned like earlier in the episode that like ooh the titan is nearby so um later at the very end the titan like swoops in uh, just as the cerritos is about to be destroyed into bits and uh captain will Riker, who is a guest star in this episode jonathan frakes and uh Marina Sirtis is uh, plays Deanna Troy, who's the the you know counselor on the Titan, and they swoop in. They save the day at the very last second, and then there's uh, a scene afterwards in the mess hall where like they're all having a drinks and hanging out. And uh, at the very end of the episode, uh, Ensign Boimler gets promoted to lieutenant, and he's uh, assigned to the Titan, and that's sort of like the end. That is the end of your 60 seconds as well. So, uh, yeah, this is our first foray into Lower Decks. We have had some animated series, but this is some new era animated stuff. Um, This is also the first time, I think, that we have already talked about this one. Uh, We reviewed Lower Decks back when it ended uh, there, kind of August, September-ish. Um, sorry, maybe it ended near closer to September, October-ish. Um, but that being said, I'm kind of excited to jump into it. Um, we haven't, we didn't really have time to look at individual episodes when we did the whole season wrap up. So, um, I feel like this could be a good opportunity for us to kind of go in and look at it. And I mean, a season finale is always exciting. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to sit down and talk about, no small parts in about two weeks time so everybody jump on check out lower decks and then meet us back and uh hear us uh break down lower deck season finale we'll be heading down to the bowels of the ship <laughs> indeed so if you hear any like weird noises in the background uh, in our next podcast it's because we're like podcasting from a jeffrey's tube indeed definitely down in those like lower deck cots uh next uh next time uh but until then uh bye-bye everybody and uh we will talk to you soon so long folks this show is brought to you by hollow sweet media 
Computer. List other available Holosuite media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, The Janeway, a Star Trek Voyager podcast. So in the holodeck, we, uh, oh, so we had the name comment about, like, we're going to have a name and he thinks we have a name and then we get the grand reveal of that name in the holodeck. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we finally see the Doctor out of his natural habitat. Rhiannon of Tarth is there again, firing her <laughs> arrows. And then it's like, fuck Schweitzer. They've named him Schweitzer. Schweitzer. I, it's a stupid. It's a stupid name <laughs> for a stupid holodeck program on a stupid episode. Albert of this Schweitzer good is show. not a stupid name. Well, I, I mean, yeah, Albert Schweitzer was like a man of something or other that did some shit, but <gasps> he was a doctor. <laughs> Loading Holosuite Preview Program Four: Her First Trek, a Star Trek Review Podcast. I'm not feeling him right now. What, Worf? Yeah. No, Worf is not good at this point on the show. Is he good at later point? Yeah. You don't like Worf? No, but you say that like I'm supposed to know. I obviously don't know. Well, on DS9, Worf is awesome. Oops. Spider. I was just going to say, he's not on DS9. Oh, I've just given you a spoiler. Oh, come on. Okay. All right. Well, it's amazing we've done even four episodes before this where I haven't spoiled other stuff. You'll forget this anyway. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Star Podlog, the classic science fiction and fantasy podcast. Well, and, and it's amazing reading, reading that description of the movie, because if I was going to write a description of Star Wars, that's not exactly what I would say. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, but yeah, yeah, it's neat to go back and read these and you're going, wow, that's just, you know, they, they don't really make it sound as exciting there, but they still, I mean, they make it look like, yeah, you want to see it, but, but not for, for those reasons exactly. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.